Hi, everybody. This is Sam Oser, your unconventional journalist, reporting Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. at the intersections of class, race, and gender and the movements that fight back. Today, we are going to be interviewing Franklin Bynum. He is the judge of the Harris County Criminal Court at Law Number 8. That is one of the 16 misdemeanor courts in Harris County. And just in case you forgot, Harris County is like the third most populated county in the country. So we have a lot of people going through these courts at any given time. Uh, Franklin, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I, I've, I've actually been wanting to interview you for like a hot minute, but whenever you first did your campaign, I, uh, I wasn't able to because I just didn't have my life together. But here yeah. we are. Well, ne neither did I. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we have that in common. It's so good to be here. I have actually wanted to be on too. Um, so thanks so much, Sam, for having me. Um, yeah, of course. It's a, it's a good time uh, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm tell you the whole story. But yeah, I'm back on the ballot uh, in the Democratic primary election coming up uh, on March 1st. You know, early voting starts on Valentine's Day. Ooh. So time to, you know, get out and tell people um, what I've been up to. So yeah, here, here I uh, am. so before we get into the court stuff, uh, can we have like some basic education on like what the misdemeanor courts are and what your role is within those courts? Yeah. So the like you said, 16 um, county criminal courts that only hear criminal cases uh, here in Harris County. And I hear, you know, one sixteenth of those cases, Class A and Class B misdemeanors is what they're called um, under state law. That is um, above a traffic ticket, below a felony. Cases where the maximum punishment is either um, six up to six months or up to a, a year. Part of my job is that I have to um, see people at arraignments, which is their first court appearance, and I have to just sit here and read those maximum punishments all the time, knowing that, frankly, hardly anyone gets the max, or no one, practically no one gets the max. Judges, I, I can't make absolute statements as a judge, but, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, I just sit around and read those ranges all the time to people. It's a, it is a very service-oriented job, um, because, you know, a lot of people think of a court as um, trials, I have 1,800 pending cases right now, and these are cases from low-level theft, typically like shoplifting allegations, to um, you know driving while intoxicated as a first and a, and a second um, offense. If it's a th if it's accused to be a third, that's a felony. Um, and then a lot of like criminal trespasses, which um, are you know a lot of the offenses. Uh, and forgive the, the kind of technical language. I don't like the word offense, but that's just what the law calls it. That's what it. it's called. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of these charges um, are what I call poverty offenses, where the person, um, if they weren't poor, would not have been arrested for that thing in the first place, no matter what the factual, you know, kind of basis is, as it's in front of me. Like, if you take away that one thing that they're, um, that they're uh, living in poverty somehow, that um, they wouldn't be there in the first place. And so that's why it's really important to run a court understanding that, uh, that in a broad mm -hmm. way, um, a lot of people are hung up there um, because of some problem in their life uh, that is largely beyond their control. And so what I do on a daily basis is, um, so as far as trials go, right, you think of a court as being in trial, but you know, I can only try, I have 1800 pending cases right now, give or take. And 
you know, hundreds are filed a month, hundreds are resolved a month. And so I just, I see thousands of, of people every year. And most of that is not in a trial. I can only do like in a, in a, in a, in a really busy year. I could, I could do 50 jury trials. And my clerk told me if we did that many, she would quit. That's the most they ever did. And if she, and if we ever did that again, she would quit. Cause I was like, how much, how can we max this baby out? And she was like, it's this and let's never do that. And so if you think about that, the numbers really don't work. You know, I mean, I think anyone who looks at the system and says, oh, it's a police system, the number of pleas in the system and the number of cases filed and the number of trials. But um, I'm living with like the daily reality of that. And that is that really most of my job is seeing people the first time, telling them what their rights are, giving them an appointed lawyer um, if they need one. Most people do. And um, setting a schedule on a case and then just kind of shepherding it along in a way that is not coercive and that is not um, punitive because the person is presumed innocent. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, that that's kind of the, the daily... You know, so it's low-level type um, charges, um, a lot of them, and uh, me seeing people um, and scheduling their cases, and that is the main crux of the job. There's a lot of there's a lot of power in there. You know, it's not nothing, mm -hmm. but um, but as far as exciting trials, I've done plenty of them. But um, it's important to remember too that um, you know I've had this job three years, and We've never had normal courthouse operations. I think I've moved courtrooms four times in three years. Oh, wow. Um, and that's before COVID started. Right? We, we finished moving, and then COVID came, and we had to shut the whole thing down. So we, don't, we couldn't even get to 50 trials in a year because we've been just so constantly disrupted by climate disaster, health disaster, you know, just disaster after disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's good stuff living in late stage capitalism, isn't it? Oh yeah, the ruins. <laughs> so, uh, what made you want to be in this elected position to begin with? I uh, am from Houston. I grew up in the the Montrose um, neighborhood. I know that you and I share a love of uh, KPFT, the the shining <laughs> beacon of my my childhood. So um, shining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, I mean, it's still there, but I miss, I miss RIP the building. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I grew up in Montrose. I was a criminal defense lawyer here, um, as an adult, um, for about 10 years. I was one of the first public defenders ever, um, to work at the Harris County public defender's office. We were the largest county in the country without a public defender's office. And then we built the best big city public defender's office in the country. Um, and maybe that's um, a theme to a lot of what we're going to talk about here. Uh, and, and maybe it's something about Houston and Harris County that um, is true and that I really love. That um, we can go from worst to first around here. You know, we can have something really wrong. But the thing is, it got so wrong that the snapback, you know, the, the, the push to make it better actually resulted in, in something really great. So the public mm -hmm. defender's office is, is an example of that. And I was a part of that for the first um, three years of its existence. But for most of the time, I was a private lawyer working in the same courthouse that I'm a judge in now, helping people, um, taking appointed cases. People would hire me, and um, and I would just see the, the daily um, grind of how these courts um, were so tremendously oppressive and unfair and coercive and an engine of 
racism and um, violence. And um, I saw people treated so terribly for so long that um, eventually um, I was like, I, I cannot go on this way. I have to do something else. And um, I mean, just to give you an example of the horrors, you know, people would be late, you know, they would have a court, they would have to come back to court. If the people that could afford to pay to get out, they would have to come to court, let's say once a month to um, just come be in your seat by 830. You know, everyone, it's like the same grind if you get a traffic ticket, right? It's just like right. you got to be in the seat. And if you're five minutes late, well, then a warrant issues. And, you know, dealing with that was one of the main drivers of the guilty plea mill, where people were like, I don't want to deal with this hassle. I just want to plead guilty today. Can I plead guilty the first time? I don't care that it's a permanent record. I don't like I, I can't I can't go to jail again. I can't miss a child pickup again. Um, and I, I see people in tears chained to chairs every day. I would see people chained to chairs and um, just for being like five minutes late. When the judges created the conditions that made them late, the elevators were such a mess, right? It was so, it was so wrong every single day. And, um, and so eventually I just decided that, um, that I wanted that to, to end. And um, at the same time, there was this lawsuit against the county that the county was really losing badly over its bail practices. You know, finally right. the federal courts. And I was like, and then so this preliminary injunction got issued by a federal court. And I know that that's, you know, that's not daily kind of kind of talk. But basically this federal court said that, hey, like we're fixing to destroy this bail system. <laughs> you know, it's, this is wrong. This is, can't go on this way. And then I was like, oh, well, so maybe I'll quit this job and, and try to be a judge. My, my old friend called it the world's greatest rage quit. Because I was like, I'm going to quit being a lawyer. I'm tired of these, these people being chained to chairs. And I'm going to, on the way out, try to run for judge and try to settle this lawsuit and try to end this, this system. And, and we did. <laughs> we really mm -hmm. did. So that's what led me to do it. That's like, so, so much of our system just perpetuates profit and um, the, the prison system is uh, the prison jail like that judiciary system is so complex. And so at least to me, it is into like a lot of normal people because <laughs> um, there's so many different loopholes. There's so many different layers. Um, whatever you just like, once you became judge for, you know, this first round, what was like the most surprising that you just weren't expecting? Well, it's a really great question. Um, because obviously I went into it being, you know, having worked being there for a really long angry time and like ready yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also just knowing the daily ins and outs, you know, um, I, I, I just went up there. It's, um, like the moment I got up there the first day I went to work, like I, I knew, I knew what to say. I knew, I knew I had seen it done a thousand times in a way that I didn't like, but I, you know, I could do my riff on it right away. Something that really surprised me is, um, it, really how quickly we were able to remedy some of these really um, lasting generational harms um, through making, but being strategic 
and being intentional about about it. You know, the the, the rap on you know the government and and government work and is that you know, it's everything runs so slow. And my God, it does. Right? There's 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 things that have, have crawled along at a frustrating pace. Of course, being in the government and going to meetings and you know, it's not an agile uh, organization. You know, it's the government, and it's the courts on top of that. Right? Who, which are which are not really transparent, like like you're no. like you're saying, and not really understood. And I think. Um, you know, part of my job is to, is to do a better job explaining the courts, um, under conditions where even other judges don't want me to sometimes, um, Mm. or at least the people that run the courts in Austin and things. Um, but the thing that surprised me the most, um, is, is how much we've been able to do. Um, for example, when we settled that bail lawsuit I was talking about, um, within, in less than three years, we had this federal court monitor that is appointed to, you know, run the statistics, make sure we're complying with the things, the soaring aspirations that we agreed to. And not only are we, but what we implemented um, really statistically eliminated some of the worst practices of, of the system, like very quickly. The, the monitor said that we, um, and it's true, that statistically speaking, for misdemeanors now in Harris County, we have eliminated racial disparities. We've pract- virtually eliminated racial disparities in in pretrial release numbers. Now, the system is still oppressive and and uh, racially discriminatory and all kinds of discriminatory on a daily right. basis in other ways. But in this one important fundamental way, will you be detained while your charge is pending? We eliminated statistically racial disparities um, in that. That was a, that was a problem that had vexed us for generations, as long as we've had criminal courts, and it, and in less than three years we turned it around, and that astonishes me. Yeah. I never coming in could have could have predicted that. Oh, yep, just like just like that, right? There there that there that part went. There's still so much more to go, right? And I don't want, but that part I'm very proud of. But that and, just and that like really requires like more hands on deck, right? Like there's only. So many people that can accomplish so many things and like in order to truly overhaul the system, it would just require more hands on deck and like more community transparency and community involvement. Yeah. And time. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I was, I was also, you know, if I could uh, shoehorn in another surprise, you know, I, um, I campaigned the first time kind of like not really with, with the, the, the mainline Democrats. Um, I was obviously on their team, you know. I was I was on the ballot with them, and mm-hmm. I would you I would came do out certain swinging with the socialist stuff. That yeah, right. Media I mean, had no idea what to do with you. <laughs> right. No, that's right. I did. I, I was like, you know, the typical way that people run for judge. Um, people, you know, they're not really really super well funded campaigns. They're not really super like slick professional politicians or anything like that. It's it's down the ballot, and you get some interesting kind of characters down there and what they usually do is just go to these democratic clubs you know bless them they do good work um but you know i decided to not go to the democratic you know super base to um to talk about the campaign i decided to go and campaign on the steps of the jail to the people that were affected by the problem that i cared the most about and um and that that really so but the other surprise was that when i finally kind of came on with with these other 15 these other 14 judges that they're so good, you know, and, and they, you, you talked about hands on deck. They were hands on deck. When I, when I, when I was 
going over the details with them about how what this needed to be, what this needed to be to get those numbers down within three years, what to like, how do we really slice into these racial disparities and create hard policies um, that uh, alleviate them? All my colleagues were on board across the board. You know, it's uh-huh. not that we didn't have spirited conversations, but the values were good and and the, and the courage was there. And that filled my heart up because I wasn't rolling with them on the campaign trail. And we were just in a conference room one day and it's like, oh, y'all are great. Actually, I, I, I could I could never expect that out of either, uh, you know, judges, period, as a, as, as a group or, um, you know, elected officials as a group that that quality of, of values and, and courage but but I, I got it with my colleagues yeah. and I, I'm very lucky yeah I'm personally a huge fangirl of uh Judd's Genesis Draper yeah oh, yeah of course oh yes. man I interviewed her uh twice three times um yeah my dear so. friend my old dear friend yes well, she's wonderful she's I, I wonderful. mean all my all my colleagues really are, I, and I cannot believe that I'm a judge and I'm able to say that because I was certainly ready to come in and be, you know, isolated and who's that, you know, who's that, and having to go to meetings and and really dig in. And sure, I've gone to plenty of meetings and dig dug in, but usually it's against it's it's pointed out with my colleagues behind me, and that has been really great. Yeah. So um, what made you decide to run again? Like, what are what are you wanting to accomplish? I had to, well, I really had to convince myself first. Uh, and that took, oh, why? that took a while, you know, um, because it's, um, because it's tough because <laughs> it's, it's tough. Um, we've accomplished a lot, but, um, it's, you know, I, I can't in, in a lot of ways being a judge feels like my life is not my own. You know, and, uh, you mm. know, I can't I can't even post like a personal photo to, to Instagram or something. Not that I should be doing that anyway, frankly, uh, without like comments like, you know, you're a murderer, <laughs> setting people out <laughs> on bonds. And I'm just like, oh, God, I I didn't I didn't <laughs> ask for this um, among the other various occupational hazards. But, you know, look, it's important. It, it is like it's true that I had to convince myself and I did, you know, um, mm. because there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, we got to finish, we, we got to really finish it. Um, and, and here's how, you know, we did the bail reform, this comprehensive bail reform. That's not just letting people out on a daily basis, but there were all of these structural commitments to providing resources to people and to alleviating the worst practices. And that t- it's going to take follow through to implement, frankly, we spent a lot of the time just defending the, the, the brass tacks of the thing against the local district attorney and the governor. I sued the governor at the big, beginning of COVID when he tried to shut down bail reform by executive order due to COVID. He didn't want to do anything else about COVID, but he did want to sh- take away power from, from judges in Harris County. So, you know, and in fact, I think to date that, that executive order purporting to, to take away judicial power uh, that came out at the beginning of the pandemic, Abbott has, has re- repealed all executive orders related to COVID except that one. Except that one. Except that oh, one. How convenient. Which, which was never really effective in the first place because it was illegal from the moment he wrote it. But that's another story. But but so daily, the thing is, it's a fragile thing. I, I don't mm-hmm. want it to be a fragile thing. I want it to be a durable thing. But right now it's a fragile thing. And um, we need people that are willing to go to the mat for the real changes that we've made that have made people's lives better in Harris County. Because if we don't 
fight for them, we won't have them. Um, if they go on long enough, then we maybe won't, won't be able to imagine a way to get back. Um, but for now, um, for sure, we have to, to keep it going. And the attacks that are coming on it are, are fairly obvious. I mean, all of the primary opponents for the county courts that did this bail reform are like current district attorneys. Like one of them just left the DA's office like a few months ago. Mm-hmm. But when he decided to run, I think he was a DA still. And so, or when, when, when Kim Og decided he, he should run, uh, he was a DA still. And so, but they all want to say they're in support 100% of everything we've done, but they just want to be the judge. And it's like, well, what for? You know, if you're really in favor of everything, and, and you know, they don't want to say they're against bail reform, but they're coming from the main local opponent of bail reform, that office. So, yeah. um, so the thing is, they can't take control of the courts because that would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's the first reason. And then we have a number of other, I mean, that's, we also assigned, we, we created this office where we took court appointments out of the hands of judges, which was always a conflict that, you know, we made an independent office that if you need an appointed lawyer, the independent office will appoint the lawyer. They'll provide resources, investigators, social workers, all kinds of help right off the bat. Um, yeah, that's a fairly new office. Yeah, the manager assigned counsel office. Huge, huge deal, right? And it's a new mm-hmm. office, and it needs people that understand indigent defense, that understand how to build a public defense office like I do, um, like Judge Draper does. Like, we are all committed to indigent defense, you know? I don't want a bunch of baby DAs um, in charge of the making sure that appointed counsel works. Um, right. That's, that's not, that's not going to be good for anybody. Um, except the DA's office. And then finally, and this is this is the closest to my heart, right, is <clears throat> sight and release. It took a year, right? But um, we finally got this program called sight and release going where, um, you know, for years, police could have written tickets for these low-level, like, shoplifting at the self-checkout, whatever cases, instead of just, mm-hmm. like, putting someone in chains and hauling them down because they're like, we, we skip-scanned three items or something. Right. Insane. But they would always say it was a technology problem, that we don't have it, – it's our systems can't handle, you know. And I was in these meetings with police where, you know, they were just like, what do you want me to do? You want me to write a name and an address on a piece of paper and they're going to show to court? I don't – I don't know. I've never heard of that. And I'm like, well, what are you, what are you talking about, man? Like, isn't that your bread and butter, writing tickets? Um, and so we created this this program, this site. We finally did it. It's, it's running. I'm the site and release judge every Wednesday at 1.30 at 49 San Jacinto. And all the forces in the meeting room that were against it now are just forces against it in practice. And every day mm. there's only a handful of people in site and release court, and there are dozens and dozens that are arrested still the old-fashioned way. And so we have to ramp that program up. That needs to be the default, the de facto default for anybody with a low-level case, period. That is, that is the, the crown jewel to me of, of harm reduction, and the job isn't done. The job isn't done because they fought it so much, and I've got to finish the job. So that, that's why I need, I, I'm asking. That's why I really uh, want to get reelected, you know, that is... So you see, I started off talking myself into it and I ended in my heart, you know, because I yeah. we have to make that work. We have to. Well, and like a lot of people don't pay attention to down ballot elections and like this is really where it's at. You know, our our system 
it perpetuates poverty and then incarcerates those people. And, you know, these, these down ballot positions, these, these judge positions, it can play a critical role in stopping the system as best as possible um, without like <laughs> completely overhauling it just yet. Um, so for anybody listening, um, please like look at your down ballot. Um, like it's, it, it is important. Um, it's and super democratic. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like small D democracy, democratic, what we have in Texas, which is not something, not a sentence that comes out of many mouths these days, you know, but we have the longest ballot in the country here in Harris County because of all because of all these judicial races and it can be really vexing to 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 elect judges because people are like oh, I don't know how to evaluate like you were saying at the beginning information about the courts are rather opaque you know courts are mm -hmm. people don't know how to and judges candidates don't always make it easier because they just speak in these soaring I will be fair you know my opponent will not be fair and it's like what does this all mean yeah what what does it mean like what's like what's the news, what's the education and like, and then even once you understand like the modern, some of the modern aspects of it, you still need to contextualize it with class struggle and just the system itself and how it's been perpetuating <laughs> oppression to black and brown communities, especially for hundreds and hundreds of years. We have a really special opportunity here um, because we have elected judges, right? If, if there's no way that the bail reform would have happened if like Greg Abbott appointed judges, and if that's how we got judges here, if that were the right. only way, that'd be people complain about electing judges. But then again, there's some real upside, particularly, particularly when you have courts with specialized criminal court jurisdiction. In a lot of places, courts will hear civil and criminal cases. And, you know, those are usually filled by rich civil lawyers or whatever. Um, but like, when you have um, specialized criminal courts, um, that actually is a tremendous opportunity when you elect those judges to um, provide, uh, you know, direct democratic, small d democratic, you know, police oversight. Because that's ultimately the, the only job of criminal courts, or one of the only jobs of criminal courts is, is you know, when the police and prosecutors take formal action against someone, there's a whole system in court where their work is reviewed, basically. And, um, you know, we, we have seen the results of the lax oversight and the judges being a rubber stamp for a long time for the police and prosecutors. And it's led to all kinds of an insane, terrible, calamitous harm to our community. So, yeah, down ballot races are important. We can directly control um, our, our community and the officials in our community. And it's a lot of work figuring out what all these people do. I mean, my God, I mean, if you were to ask me about the probate court races, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be able to talk to you in technical detail about them, even though I am a judge. Uh, and so it is, it's tough. It's tough, but it's, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it at least about the criminal courts to um, figure out who's in favor of remedying the systemic harm and who's not. And at this point, people should be pretty clear about that. And that's new. That's new and, and good. So you can pick up the League of Women Voters Guide. You know, I know that there's still a lot of people saying one thing and doing another, but, but um, you know, the battle lines are pretty drawn, um, at least around here. And I think a lot of places in the country that, you know, we know this system has to change. Yeah. And, um, you know, who has, who has the, the background and who, who, is, who is showing you and not just telling you. And yeah. uh, so you can... 
it, it can be deciphered, even though the ballot's really long. And like, for those of you listening, um, whether or not you've been through court, through the whole trial process, um, and you have that experience or, or not, it's, it's, uh, important to know, you know, especially since the pandemic, we've all, we've always had this giant wealth gap and, you know, the working poor is getting larger. Like that faction is getting larger. It just is. And, you know, we have these courts that systemically incarcerate poor people, uh, for trying to make ends meet for stealing bread, for example. Um, and I mean, literally, Literally. Literally, yeah. <laughs> what? So I guess that might be a fun question and uh, not fun, um, but just interesting. What is the most, um, in the court cases that you've seen, what is the most like example of a working poor case? Uh, obviously you don't have to like say names or anything that would give people away, but like what was one where it was very clear that our government as a whole completely failed them and backed them into this corner. It's, you know, it's so, it is a good question. Um, I'm going to start at the general uh, and then, and then as I, as I go, hope, hope that a specific example comes up because there are so many, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like being at the beach, you know, which was your favorite wave, you know, it's just every day it's coming constantly, these situations where people yeah. are, um, but living in poverty who are, who are, you know, maybe sometimes in a crisis in their life, sometimes not, sometimes just, I mean, it's, I see, I see a lot of people, um, and, you know, my, my first job is to be, um, is to treat them as whole people and be mm -hmm. be kind to them. What I say is, uh, I, you know, you're presumed innocent, and I will treat you that way. And it, I add that to the you have the right to remain silent and all that. It's a it's an aspiration, but also a commitment to action. And um, and when I talk, I don't often when we're talking about poverty and 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 how poverty manifests itself in in the criminal courts. As you're asking the question, the, fir the first thing that came up for me is, is the main conversation I have with, with, anybody who, um, with anybody who happens to be detained. I want to be clear that like, when I was a practicing lawyer, when I would show up in the court in the morning, there would be like 40 or 50 people in the jail cell attached to the courtroom, just packed. And they, would, they, yeah. they were all there because they couldn't pay. And they wanted to sign the papers to plead guilty to get out because that's the situation they were placed in. And... Now, I have on a given morning, one, two, three people that just made it through the jail. The judge of the jail didn't let them out. Sometimes they didn't even, you know, through vagary of the system, they're, they're detained and they see me. And the main conversation I have is where are you staying? That's just, that's what, it, because housing is such an issue. I feel like so many of the cases would not be cases if people had housing. You know, and, and it's so it's such it's so cruel that that what the system, uh, you know, provides at great expense and with with great cruelty is, you know, kind of housing. You know, it's 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 not. I mean, but it's you know, it's a it's a it's a 
you know, the cage they put you in is, is putatively a home, you know, for a yeah. few days. And like when, when I look at the situation and, and I don't have the tools to provide housing, I'm working to build, you know, more of like a service desk in the courtroom to get connected with services, you know, and, but then you got to build the services on the other end too. You know, I mean, you can build a conduit to something, but then you you also have to have something on the back end, you know, like we'll get you in touch with housing orgs, but then the housing orgs are, you know, have to have the capacity, right? right. It, it takes a full court thing. So, so there's enough cases, people that come through that don't have basic housing to the so, point. So many, so, so many. Yes. Yes. And then, oh. and then maybe get into disputes with, with, you know, maybe they're in a temporary situation and, and, you know, they, they get into some kind of argument or, and so they make some type of, I get these verbal threat cases is, is a type of case I get in my court. Yeah. You know, I get low level assault, pain, assault, you know, slaps, things like that. Just loss of, I'm not saying anybody did any of that. I'm just talking about the nature of the allegations, you know, but, yeah, yeah. but, and a lot of these arise out of like, you know, living living in, in unstable housing, you know? And the, so the conversation mm -hmm. I have is like, where, like, I, I wanna let you out of here, you know, I'm gonna let you out of here, but let's like, let's just figure out where you're staying, you know? Can we figure out a place for you to go, just like right here with your lawyer? Um, and so, I, you know, there's no one specific example that sticks out because what sticks out is, is just that, that that is the one conversation I'm having. With, with almost everyone. And that's the one thing that would fix so much in this system. That would fix that so much. Like that, um, that, that theme, um, that pattern is uh, routinely left out of these conversations. Like, um, like I wasn't aware of it. <laughs> I try to have like a giant eye of sorrow in like over Harris County to like try to see what's going on where. And um, I didn't even consider housing as a factor in in these cases. Um, I mean, obviously, um, you know, we're talking about working poor and poverty and how the system perpetuates that. So it makes sense that they would um, have housing insecurity. Damn. Yeah, it's it's astonishing, um, truly, uh, the scale and, and how simple a fix would be. You know, I mean, I know the city of Houston likes likes to tout its success um, with like um, housing for homeless veterans and its success. None of it's that. real. <laughs> right, right, right. No, but I'm saying that like, okay, so if it was that easy oh, for that, like, like, why don't we? Yeah, like, why don't we? All right. So y'all are saying it's easy. So why don't we do it like across the board then? Why don't yeah. we just why, housing first? You know, I, I really, you know. I, I'm I'm more convinced than ever that um, you know baseline. So so when I when I say that I'm running for judge as a democratic socialist, really what I'm saying is like I, I'm still doing the job of judge. I'm a board certified criminal lawyer. I know the law really well. I do a really good daily job, you know, doing what I got to do. But you know, as a as a broader sense, I understand these systemic issues, and and my you know I I know what I want to be done about these systemic issues. And even though I have my silo of the courts, I'm still, I'm a branch of government. And, right. and it's, it's important for us to, you know, go to other branches of government that are willing to work in good faith with us and be like, look, the problem in my court actually is that nobody has housing, you know, Mayor Turner. <laughs> can you, can we do something about that? You know, 
Councilmember Kubosh instead of like filing frivolous complaints and, and calling press conferences and stuff. And, you know, so um, I'm picking on the city a little bit. Mostly I work with commissioners um, who are wonderful and, uh, and who understand and we've gotten a lot of support from. But yeah, um, it's, um, you know, I, I, I'm not making some democratic socialist ruling on, uh, on uh, bail on a daily basis or something, you know, but, but I am just, when I, when I approach my job, when I, when, when I approach my job uh, to look at the systemic stuff, that's mm-hmm. my feeling about the systemic stuff is that, you know, we need a society where people have care and not cages. And so I'm, right. I'm ramping down the cages and and I'm trying to do my best to to turn up the care and to encourage others to do that, too, because, you know, we need more hands on deck, like you said. Yeah. And well, like you're picking on like the city, which for me, like the whole government, <laughs> Harris County commissioners has gotten a, a nicer um, and that's that's been refreshing. Um, but something I always tell people and like and reiterate my reporting is like the the corporations, the rich people own our government. And if we really want to see some sort of change, we have to, the people have to own the electoral process. And that's just not the case right now. We see like some little pockets of it. Um, like in this case, I, I think Lena Hildago is a decent example. Um uh, the commissioner's court is kind of a decent example where it's like slowly becoming a little more community oriented. The The labor board that was uh, just voted on recently, I think, is um, a good example of that. And they're building out the hall, actually, to make the meet. You know, the commissioner's meetings are happening on the fourth floor and you had to cram up there. If, if I know many of, of, of us have been tried to cram up there to speak at commissioner's court and it was so tough you know you were it was it was built to where no one was supposed to go there it was just a little meeting room down the hall from their offices but they're renovating the first floor of the county admin building to people can just walk in basically from the street and go to commissioner's court in kind of auditorium style you know of course a county this size needs that you know and that takes time it takes time to authorize the contracts and you know, give contracts to people who aren't your campaign donors and things like that, which is another great thing Lena's done is is the campaign fight is just herself being See, campaign and, finance. And like that's, you know, like the community coming in and like owning the electoral space. Um, but there's still pockets that are missing, you know, the city, the state, obviously, dear God, the state. Um yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's... federally, of course. Um, but so it just I'm just trying to fill in the gaps for people listening to see like the we're talking the microcosm of the judges, um, but to also see how that uh, connects to uh, the city and and state because housing, yeah, working issues. <laughs> Absolutely, you know we couldn't have done as strong a bail reform as we did without Lena Hidalgo and Rodney Ellis and Adrian Garcia. No way, you know we had. We had a lot of power over in our in our um, realm in the courthouse. The criminal judges did, but mm-hmm. um, you know their support, their willingness to to fund like a really holistic resolution. Um, to I mean, there's all kinds of ways. It's not just the release is the is the bail reform part. It's also all these fee reductions, all these things like when someone when the law requires someone to like get this alcohol device on their car. It's limited when it's required, but like you know. <clears throat> I, 
they still had to pay for it. They could have been found indigent and this could, they couldn't afford a lawyer, but there was, there was no mechanism to provide the thing that the law says you have to have right. at no expense. And the thing is, you know, what they would do before is just like, well, you can't afford it. Well, you get locked up, you know, so you could maybe you could afford, afford the $50 bail, but you can't afford the $100 a month alcohol device that the state law requires in this narrow category of case. Well, you go back to jail is what the old judges would say. Yeah. Um, and so we're just like, well, like, where's the money to actually make this thing that people if, if the law says people have to have it, like, why don't we give it for free? You know, and, and like, it's that kind of thing. I mean, that's, it's a small thing. It's a small thing. I would rather people didn't have the devices, frankly. Um, mm -hmm. I think that they're a vendor giveaway for the most part. But it ties back I got to follow the, the law. Issue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got it right. It's, it's, and so that's just one small way that they did. They, they funded social workers in the jail, for example. There's social workers available at the jail. So when someone is there, you know, we guaranteed public defenders in the jail. The county had done it voluntarily, but we were like, no. We're putting the county on the hook for this basically in perpetuity, right? Yeah. This is not by the grace of commissioners. This is, this is hard commitment. And that's money. That's money. That's an investment in reducing harm. And, and all the commissioners um, were partners with us in that. And I'm really grateful for that. Hell yeah. Well, we, we covered a lot of different areas, but is there anything that you need people to know or anything that we missed? Yeah, I think that we're in this, we're living in this time where, you know, the, the loudest voices um, are, I mean, I mean, I didn't even know about some of these like local, like there's a nightly Fox 26 um, local news segment every night called Breaking Bond that that's just like highlighting the story of someone who did something terrible on bond, which I, I've, like, I've never seen it, but it's in the great tradition. When I was growing up, channel 26 was city under siege. That was the nine 30, uh, part. And it was like this new branding. And it was like, it was like the, the cops lettering and it was this severe. And it was just like the worst. It was just like, you got the, we're mainlining the, uh, the, the really bad crime local news stuff at nine 30. Mm, and, um, was good, some good, some, uh, copic copaganda. Yeah, right. So, I mean, yeah, get on YouTube Delicious. and search for Fox 26 City Under Siege. It's, it's comical, right? Early 90s, crime scare, you know, really pre-crime bill. And, you know, they're trying to get that narrative back up, that early 90s pre-crime bill, just like crime's out of control. Um, and, and they're trying to pin it on judges, which is insane. They're, it's insane. Because it's like, that's, I, I am, judges are not cops. <laughs> that is my parting word, really, is that judges are not cops. There are a lot of cops that are calling press conferences, complaining that judges aren't cops, complaining bitterly that judges aren't cops, but like, we're not. Um, we, we make these nuanced, complicated decisions following the law every day. Um, I wanna ask some of these people that are calling the press conference all the time, like, uh, and I've heard them ask this question and they don't have an answer, right? It's like, well, how many, how many people do you want locked up? Like, what's the, what number would you be happy at? Like, at what point will, will you take responsibility for, for the problems in the world, your part? You know, like, how, how, what's the number of people where, where you, you, you think that that's going to stop, um, you know? And they don't, it's unlimited for them, right? right. It's, it's lock everybody up, basically. Lock them all up. Right, right. And, and that's, and the thing is, is that it, they really take advantage of people not understanding what judges jobs are, and, um, and what the law is. And, and so, um, 
I would just say that um, there's we, we're living in a time of, of massive, massive disinformation. Uh, it's really it's it touches everywhere and it's touching here. And uh, like what we've done locally with bail reform on misdemeanors um, is the best bail reform in the entire country. Uh, it is really, really good. The numbers show it. We have really made people's lives better in Harris County in the past three years. And uh, the people have more money in their pocket. People are not uh, locked up, missing child pickups, missing, missing um, you know, a rent payment because they're detained or just because they can't afford to pay to get out. There's just been this massive, massive reduction of the worst practices. And I have to believe, and I know that there's compounding benefits to this. You know, if you make it, <laughs> if you make it through this one week, you know, then you're, then you can make it better chance. You make it the next and the next, you know, and, and that's what we need to overcome all of these, you know, all the, the, the tough conditions we're in, especially in Houston, natural disasters, COVID, all that, you know, the, the prevailing, you know, pinch of late capitalism, right? People's wages are down, uh, work, people are working, work to the bone, we're working to make people's lives better in Harris County. And that has to be what we tell people in November. That's what I'm telling people now. So like the incumbent misdemeanor judges like deserve to stay and finish the job. All of them, including me. So yeah, please register to vote, you know, February, February how can, 14th. How can people get involved with your campaign? Franklinforjudge.org is my website. Um, I'm on social media and all that too. Uh, I've been all over the news. My record is all out there. Um, so franklinforjudge.org, you can donate, you can sign up to volunteer. Uh, we need all kind of help. Uh, it's, it is going to be a full court press between now and March 1st, but it's going to be really fun. So sign up franklinforjudge.org. You can learn more about me, you know, see some videos and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then if this uh, topic resonates with you, there is the uh, Houston Abolitionist Collective at Liberate HTX, that's their handle. Um, they do organize and uh, do work around this topic. So if you want to get involved in some capacity, um, I do encourage you to um, look into that. They're a great um, org and I love to go to their events. Yeah, I am obsessed. Uh, obsessed. Um, <laughs> everybody I report on, I am like obsessed with their work in some capacity. It's amazing. A lot um, of good people doing good work in Houston. It's a great place to be. Yes. And Houston's like, an Harris, optimistic town, you know, iron like, sharpens Harris, iron. We're hard here, you know? Yeah. And like Harris County as a whole too. Um, you know, I keep seeing, you know, things at the county level that's just so refreshing and um, there are people outside of Houston and like Pasadena, for example, where they're trying to get the ball rolling on some sort of organizing movement. And, you know, if you live- Crystal Davila for school board, Pasadena school board, big, big win. Yes. Huge. And having one person in the room, I learned that having one person on a board, having one person in a meeting um, with, with the right values makes a huge difference. And she's she's amazing. And like- for those of you listening outside of Houston that might feel like a little helpless, this particular campaign is Harris County related. Um, so, you know, take uh, encouragement with that. Um, for those of you wanting to learn more about Copaganda, I uh, also encourage you to follow um, Alec 
Karakasanis. Yeah. Karakasanis. I can yeah. never. Uh, equality, at Equality Alec. Yes, at Equality Alec. Uh, he does a lot of unpacking on uh, dissecting propaganda. And um, it, that's just a good start if you don't know how to identify it or or uh, you just want some more information on it. Um, so, yeah, um, that's all I really got. The very last thing I have is if you've missed this interview, you're coming at the tail end, look up Unconventional Journalist wherever you get your podcasts. And this interview will be available along with links on how to get involved. Um, and then another thing I'll have there for you is education on like the Democratic Party. Like, so you vote Democrat. What What is the party? What are delegates? What are committees? It'll be a throwback of a left of liberal episode with my friend Prince who talks about that. So if you want to understand the Democratic Party a little bit more, you can do that as well. Um, but that's, that's all I've got. You it's really great, else? Sam. It's really great work. All that. It's really appreciated. It's been really great being here. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much again for joining me. Take care.